2012. That's not the year, that's the time. Although it feels like we are in 2012, given what's happening in the South African political landscape. So we find ourselves there yet again. Today is the 5th of December, 2022. Of course, you know, being the first Monday of the month, we get to have a lecture. We've had three. This is now the fourth, I beg your pardon. That song that you are listening to is Coldplay, The Speed of Sound. And, of course, this is in introducing our guest lecturer this evening, former Justice of the Constitutional Court and a major human rights activist who played a critical role in the years of the transition, as well as in the early constitutional life of this country, as well as specifically and particularly on the Constitutional Court. I'm speaking to and of and about none other than Justice Johann van der Westeisen, former judge of the Concord. Before his judicial appointment, he was a professor at the University of Pretoria's Faculty of Law and is also the founding director of the Centre for Human Rights. He joins us this evening to give us a mini-lecture on the transition and the formation of the Constitutional Court. He was... He will also touch on rather some of the life-changing, groundbreaking, possibly even the controversial judgments that the country has seen in recent times. Of course, for those of you who are our loyal listeners and those of you who are joining in for the first time, what we propose to do is that Judge Van Vestes and talk to us until give or take half past eight in just giving us a lesson. Half past eight, 25 to, that's also fine, after which we'll take a break and then engage in a question and answer session. Please, for those of you who have questions, drop us a voice note. At least that's a better way of engaging your thoughts. Nothing takes away from the fact that, of course, you may yet call 086-000-2032, and then we will take calls on the other side of Justice Johan van der Westeisen's lecture. Judge van der Westeisen, J-Dubs, as we called him in the Concord. Judge, how are you? Good evening. Yes, yes, good evening. Thank you very much. You make me feel very old, but in the middle of all your praises, you said I play an played an important role in the early life of our constitutional democracy. So um, this makes one feel old, but I, I hope I can still um, <laughs> contribute in some way. Thank you. You certainly can, Judge, and the fact that you have obliged us with this great honor of your time this evening, albeit at short notice, first of all, apologies for that, but more than that, we are eternally indebted, and I think it comes. It couldn't come at a more appropriate time if the political landscape is anything to go by. And for us better to understand where we are, I think it's from time to time, as we now hereby do, need to reflect. So with your leave, Judge, take us through the late 80s, early 90s, and even into this modern dispensation of the Constitutional Court as we now know it. The salient points, the points at which you were a party, and some of the things that could have gone one way or the other, and fortunately they've gone the way that they have, so as to give us the political stability that we now enjoy, albeit with the challenges that it has. Without further prompt, Justice, the people <clears throat> of South Africa who are listening this evening are indeed your audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please stop me or don't hesitate to interrupt. I don't have a, a watch a timer right next to me. So um, <clears throat> uh, please check the time. We'll give yeah, you 20 minutes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you must tell me how sure. far we are into the... Or you must tell me when the 20 minutes are up. Sure. Thank you. Indeed. We, um, um, as you've mentioned, the Constitutional Court has been seen by many as South Africa's saviour. People say that it has rescued us from 
from a number of um, calamities that we have experienced. On the other hand, of course, it is also quite often being criticized. Um, the, some of the landmark decisions, I will return to them, but just to start on a slightly interesting note, of course, the first decision of the Constitutional Court was the abolition of the death penalty. It was a decision, a judgment that was world famous, Makwanyane, um, the clause in the Criminal Procedure Act that allowed for capital punishment was found to be constitutionally invalid or unconstitutional. Other um, groundbreaking decisions included, for example, the case where we put the government on terms to allow gay and lesbian marriages next to the marriage as it existed at the time where the Marriage Act used the word husband and wife. Um, another one that was very important in South Africa's history was the social grants. We found that the tender in, in terms of which a uh, contract was uh, concluded uh, to pay out social grants to many thousands of people, that that tender was irregular and therefore we had to deal with what happened afterwards to the contract and we had to choose between the rule of law and uh, whether poor people should be left without their money for many months. Um, last year, the court drew a lot of attention when, uh, with the judgment that um, President Zuma, ex-former President Zuma, had to go to prison. And a week or so ago, we had the judgment uh, by the Constitutional Court that uh, bail should, I'm sorry, parole should be granted to Yaris Valus, the murderer of, um, of Chris Hani. We can talk about these things later, but let's take a step back as you wanted me to do. Um, before 1994, South Africa was not a constitutional democracy. Parliament um, had the power to make any laws. It was a question of parliamentary supremacy, not constitutional supremacy. In other words, Parliament could make any laws and the courts and the judges had to apply these laws, whether they agreed with them or not. Unfortunately, many of the South African judges in those days agreed with the apartheid legislation, but those who did not um, had very little choice. Um, when the interim constitution was drafted, we had to decide which court was now going to apply and enforce our new constitution because now we became a constitutional democracy. The constitution is the supreme law of the country. Other laws, laws made by parliament, laws made by local authorities, all of these have to comply with the constitution and not only laws, but also executive action. The conduct of the president all the way down to the police officer on the street. So the question at the time was, which court are we going to give this enormous responsibility? There was skepticism because from liberation movement circles, it was said that, listen guys, for 300 years, when you enforced colonialism and apartheid, it was fine for you that parliament must be sovereign. Parliament made apartheid laws, even though only less than a fifth of the people were allowed to vote for parliament. And so the skepticism was, now that you know Parliament is going to be black and President and Mr. Nelson Mandela is going to be the first president, 
now all of a sudden you want a group of old women and men in those days mainly men to be able to set aside the legislation and the conduct of the president however we worked through this and eventually all parties involved in the negotiations agreed um, we had to decide or for a variety of reasons we decided on a new court a constitutional court the main example in the world at that stage was germany and that was a break from our english tradition where for example in canada and the united states the supreme court is the highest court the difference was that the constitutional court our constitutional court like the one in germany specialized in constitutional matters originally it did not hear ordinary legal matters uh, the constitution said that the court has jurisdiction over constitutional issues and issues linked with constitutional issues that was changed um, with the 14th amendment of the constitution a few years ago the court now has wider jurisdiction uh, it is not capable of hearing all appeals all the appeals that will be heard by the supreme court of appeal in bloemfontein uh, because there are only 11 judges however um, the court can now hear not only constitutional matters but matters of great importance um, debatable issues of great importance etc so the first court was appointed in 1994 there were 11 judges in those days only two of them were women the other nine were men and the vast majority of the judges were white um, Judge Arthur Chaskelson was the first president of the court, and he later, when they amended the constitution, became also the chief justice. He was succeeded as chief justice and therefore as head of the constitutional court by uh, Chief Justice Pius Langa. Then Chief Justice Sandile Ngobo was now very much in the news because of the um, report on the president's farm. Um, then Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng, and at the moment the Chief Justice is, of course, Judge Raymond Zondo. The Deputy Chief Justice at the moment is uh, Judge Mandisa Maya, and the general expectation is that she might become South Africa's first female um, uh, Chief Justice. Um, yeah, I, the, we are, they are appointed, all the judges are appointed by the president after hearings by the Judicial Service Commission. The, our terms are 12 years. Uh, it differs from the other courts. Uh, again, this comes from the German example. Um, one is appointed for a non-renewable 12-year term. In other words, whether you are good or bad, whether the president likes you or not, you are there for 12 years and not a second longer. Depending on one's other experience and, and, and pension benefits and so on, one may leave before the 12 years, but you may not stay any longer. I was on the court from 2004 to 2016. After the initial appointment, uh, I was the first white judge again to be appointed because between the initial appointment and my appointment, judges like um, Sandile Ngobo and others were appointed. 
So the all 12 judges, uh, sorry, all 11 judges sit together. Um, we are not split into two chambers or like they call it in Germany, two senates. A quorum is eight, which is a bit dangerous because one could end up with a four-four split and therefore with a court that cannot take a decision. Um, very important in the setup of the court are the clerks, uh, very, very bright students and young lawyers from South Africa. Hundreds of them apply every year to become research clerks or law clerks, and they play a very important role in the research and the preparation of the judgments. Uh, in my days, and I think still now, there are also a number of foreign clerks, courts from clerks from other countries. They are not paid with South African money. They came on bursaries and grants from their home countries. Um, some of them are also very experienced. Um, one of my clerks was indeed a, an associate professor in feminism and stuff like that at, a, at an American university. She was Israeli, but uh, also, because of my uh, recommendation, she eventually became an American citizen and she has been teaching there as an assistant professor and by now perhaps professor. Um, yeah, this is actually where we, how we have been doing. You asked me about how things have changed. I think the most important thing that has changed is the number of cases coming to the court has increased tremendously over the years. Um, even at, when, at my departure, when in 2016, I mentioned that when I arrived at the court or in the beginning, they would receive something like 40 applications the whole year, and they would have uh, eight or nine judgments per term. The court, uh, the, we, we operated in four terms. Sometimes there was not a judgment to write for, for each of the judges. At the last meeting, and that is now already January 2016, when I was in the court, the last one that I attended, we had something like 72 new applications on the agenda of one meeting. Now, that has um, influenced, of course, many things, but so far the judgment has come out uh, in time. We always try not to make it the time that the judgment is reserved more than three months. Sometimes it did take longer. And yeah, perhaps back to the um, to the so-called controversial judgments. Um, you know, I saw recently people writing, academics and so on, writing about the Janus Wallis judgment, um, saying that um, the, the politicians often expect the court to do their dirty work for them, and then they can criticize the court afterwards. <laughs> and um, the idea behind that thought is the, the politicians drafted the constitution, not the judges. But after we found, based on the equality clause in the constitution, the non-discrimination clause, that gay and lesbian people may not further be discriminated against, even as far as marriage is concerned, a deputy minister told me that we messed up now because now we forced them to amend the constitution. And I said to him, but it's you guys who wrote this into the constitution in the first place. I was there with the constitution drafting. I was an integral part of it, but surely I could not take any decisions. The decisions were taken by the politicians. 
And I said, if you guys did not realize that this could, co could in, in marriage being open to, uh, to, to, to suspect peoples of people of the same sex, then what did you think it meant in the first place? And in a newspaper uh, last Friday, a professor wrote that the same applies to the Badu's judgment. The, the politicians drafted the legislation, the Correctional Services Act. That says that you can be sentenced to life in prison, but in such a case, you can apply, you may apply for parole after 25 years. Um, that does not mean that you will get parole, but certain standards are set to, to test whether you, you are entitled to parole or not. And they drafted the legislation. Um, on a number of occasions, the minister overruled or decided against the um, uh, recommendation of the parole board that Wallace should be released. And then it is it ends up in the court and the court does what the law says must be must happen and then the politicians say oh the court has now committed a grave injustice anyway that is part of the part of the job description so to speak um, the judges have to have courage it is very hard work one has to have courage uh, one has to be fiercely independent and um, I have written somewhere that judicial independence means that I must not be influenced in any way unduly, but it does not mean that I must not be in touch with what is going on in my society. In other words, I must not answer the phone if the minister calls, or I must put down the phone, or for that matter, a prominent business person who offers me money or who tries to influence me, but at the same time, I must be very much aware of the problems in our society, poverty, violence against women and children, um, all of those things. I cannot ignore that in judgments. Um, but I will conclude with a sentence, although I think that um, judges have to have a lot of courage, especially in the highest court, we must not forget that this is not so special. Um, police officers need to be very courageous and brave, soldiers, firefighters, and doctors, and especially nurses. They put their life on the line almost every day in their work, and that is a much more serious threat than just being worried that one would be criticized um, as, you know, anti-revolutionary or, uh, or too conservative or whatever the criticism may sometimes be. But I'm open to any questions or any remarks from your side. I hope I'm still within the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Justice Johan van der Vestes and former Justice of the Constitutional Court. He is a mm -hmm. professor of law from the University of Pretoria's Faculty of Law. When I say professor of law, I mean LLB, LLM, LLD, all researched, written, and conferred, as well as an LLD honoris causa from the same University Talking about his work, we know now that he is a scholar of the law as he is a practitioner, having done much work as a counsel with the Legal Resources Center, among other things as a researcher in the UK, in the United States, and especially in Germany and the Netherlands. 
And here he is now engaging us as a retired justice of the Constitutional Court in terms of where we are in our constitutional jurisprudence in this country and some of the challenges, certainly, of the latter day of the judiciary's life in a highly politicized South African context where I would imagine the right to freedom of speech and expression more and more gains traction. So then those institutions or spaces where perhaps criticism might not have been so forthcoming in the early days, certainly the game a lot has changed now. We are in the space now where we shall engage the views at home. 86 2032 please call that number. 0614-104-107, please send us a message or a voice note and we endeavor to engage that. After the break, what I propose to do, Justice, is just to ask you a couple of questions just to get the ball rolling after which we shall take some calls. I already see a gentleman from Mafikeng is already on the line and that's Mbonani. So after the break, I'll fire away, allow the listeners as well to participate through calls and we'll keep going until the top of the hour. Call us on 086-000-2032. The Viewpoint on SAFM. We are back. We are live. Our guest this evening who has just offered us the Monday mini public lecture is Justice Johan van der Vestesen. You would know that on the first Monday of every month, we bring a gentleman or lady from our society to offer us a lecture on a unique aspect of our public life, more than private life, but in large part it's the South African public life and an outlook from somebody who really is respected in our society or has a lot of data to offer us that can certainly be useful as we arrange our private lives. In the context of where we are, I mean, December in the constitutional life is a very important month. It was, I think it, no, it wasn't this day, but... It was in December 1996 when the Constitution was signed by President Mandela. Standing next to him, if you do your research well and you recall if you were around then and somewhat interested in these issues, is the former chairperson of the South African Constitutional Assembly, none other than our current head of state, Cyril Matamela Ramaphosa, one of the men who presided over this constitutional dispensation through being a member of the Constitutional Court is Justice Johan van der Vestesen. He has talked a lot about the Constitution and particularly some of the judgments of that court, the Constitutional Court that is, that have found their way to have the kind of influence we now know them to have in South Africa. Of course, in the latter day, how can we not engage the question of the latest judgment to draw some political criticism even, and that being the latest judgment of the Concord penned by Justice Zonda on the release of Janus Walus. It was around about this time last year when the Constitutional Court had to make just as heavy a decision about a former head of state in President Jacob Zuma. So let's get into some of those questions that you might have from a former justice of the Constitutional Court. But if you should not know, be guarded in the questions that you do ask. Justice van der Vestesen is a judge, and a judge never retires. A judge is on a salary for life, and as a result, he, and as well as any other judge, may be called to public service at any given time as the demand may arise. I'm saying this only because I'm requiring, if not requesting you, just to please be mindful of the fact that and respect the judge's independence by virtue of the position he holds in society. He might be retired from the bench, but he certainly carries his title with all the benefits as well as responsibilities thereof. Justice van der Verstezen, 
Let's talk about the yes. caseload. You mentioned something which is quite important, which many, certainly those who might not necessarily have access to the court and its workings, might not be aware of. But this is, for me, certainly a red flag. I remember doing some research in 2014 whilst clerking at the court. New apps amounted to 25 that year, 94. And the judgments of that year came out to 24. 25 new apps, 24 judgments. Yeah. When I left yes. in 2014, there were 235 new apps. This is around December 20. 235. That's a good 210 more new apps. What, of course, people might miss with that is the human resource of the court has not changed in the relevant period. You still have your 11 judges. You still have a justice assigned two clerks, maybe three if you're the deputy chief justice or the chief justice, and one or two foreign law clerks. But essentially, the human capital remains the same. Many would attribute this influx to the 17th Amendment, is specifically that the Constitutional Court is no longer the apex court on all constitutional matters, but matters of public importance or of general public importance or an arguable point of law, whatever that might mean. If you have any comment on the 17th Amendment, I would welcome that, please. But more than that, this is a good time to start considering the solutions around how we're going to not shield the judges from the heavy workload, but allow them to be judges to really engage the matters that must be heard for which they then apply their minds so that the credible, strong judgments that are thoroughly applied can emerge as opposed to what many might critique as frivolous application simply because somebody has not prevailed either at the High Court or the Supreme Court of Appeal or they might have the resources that just allow them one extra chance at the Concord. Your thoughts on that, please. Yes, uh, <clears throat> even when I joined the court uh, in um, 2004, those, when did I say yes, 2004? 2004. Uh, yeah, the um, academics, even in other countries, sometimes wrote articles criticizing the court for not having enough work. Uh, compared to other courts in the world, though, uh, the number of judgments were actually a small number, and we were criticized sometimes for taking too long, etc. Um, some of the judges from the previous uh, regime and everyday practicing lawyers said that the judgments of the Constitutional Court were too long. And um, But let me, let me give credit to the first judges. Um, there might not have been so many cases, but it was a huge task to start a new court out of nothing. Um, the rules of court have had to be drafted. Chief Justice um, Chaskelson did most of that. Um, decisions on simple things had to be taken as to whether the judges should wear gowns um, and what color the gowns should be. Eventually, somehow they opted for the green gown. Uh, many people to this day thought that the, every court in the world, the judges' gowns are either red or black. But I like rather like the fact that we have a very typical South African color um, that is, these are unimportant things, but um, it was a huge, a, a whole new jurisprudence, constitutional jurisprudence had to be created. Um, every case was a first, every case was new. And therefore, a lot of research went into those early judgments. And the judgments also very often refer to South Africa's history, the history of apartheid, etc., cetera, um, also to show why laws are the way they are and to, to back up the interpretation of the law and of the constitution 
we talked, for example, in those days about the, the purpose of interpretation. In other words, uh, you look at the words of uh, a piece of legislation. If the words are quite clear, you have to apply it as it is. But if there, to the extent that there is space to for different interpretations, you look at what the purpose of this particular law is. Many laws were still on the statute book that were clearly unconstitutional because they discriminated, they came from the apartheid era, etc. So many groundbreaking cases uh, were brought to the court then and the judgments were very important. If I now look back, I think some of the judgments were actually, with respect, actually quite easy compared to the compared to the problems that came later. Sure. The 17th Amendment, yeah, this, let me just say about the amendment, it was in a way inevitable. I'm not necessarily saying that they chose the right wording, but the distinction between a constitutional issue and a, a legal issue, which is not a constitutional one, was always a bit fuzzy because in a country where the constitution is the supreme law, then every other piece of law is actually related to the constitution. But I can mention an example. For example, in the beginning, the court said, we cannot take every criminal appeal. There are hundreds of criminal cases, judgments. Um, they go to Bloemfontein to the Supreme Court of Appeal, etc. So we said, the court said, it was before my time actually, that an ordinary criminal case is not a constitutional matter. Now, one, it's hard to imagine anything which is more directly constitutional than when you are locked up, your liberty is taken away, and perhaps you are not guilty. Um, one of the major cases in which the court drew that distinction was the case of Dr. Alan Busak, who was convicted. Um, the conviction was confirmed in Bloemfontein, and the Constitutional Court show, did not accept his case so the distinction we try to make is if the appeal is based simply on an evaluation, evaluation of factual evidence. For example, if the appeal is that the judge in the trial court should not have believed the police witness, for example, then it is not a constitutional case. However, if the judge made procedural mistakes, and one of my first judgments was the way that the judge's assessors were accommodated in a building with not enough officers, then it could make it indeed a constitutional matter. So it was always kind of difficult. Um, what the amendment did is to perhaps leave it too much to the discretion of the judges as to which cases to accept. Because now people can go there with divorce matters and contractual matters. And of course, divorce and contractual matters can clearly have constitutional implications. But a lot of applications arrive there. And I can tell you from my own experience that some judges are much more open because there is almost a kind of a missionary approach that one wants to correct the law. And then in the end, you become overloaded and you venture into areas Sorry, which judge. is not really the experience. Yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a little under 
pressure for time insofar as the engagement yeah. is coming through. So okay. le, le, let's take a call from Bonani in Mafikeng. For those who have just joined, yeah. Justice Yuan van der Veste is in former Justice of the Constitutional Court and a human rights professor and activist at that is on the line. The public lecture he offered us earlier today was on the Constitutional Court and the Constitution and the early days of our democracy and some of the judgments that have emanated from that court. If you do want to engage our constitutional history as well as the current issues facing the judiciary at large and the constitutional court in particular, if not the constitution itself, now is as good a time to pose your questions. 86 2032 is the number to dial. 0614-104-107. Please drop us a WhatsApp voice note or text message. In Mafikeng, we go to Mbonani. Mbonani, good evening. Good evening. Indeed. Yes, I got a question here because Constitutional Court 2019 lambasted on the, the letter of lands. But at the same time, the UN 1973 declared that uh, apartheid was crime against humanity. Can he put his thought on that matter? Did you get that, Judge? Uh, no, not entirely. I, um, Bonani, can you repeat your question, please? Yeah, My but let me just... Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay, repeat first, then I'll see what I can do with it. Bonani, Hello? go for it, please. Yes, I'm, I'm asking the, the, the judge, the, the Constitutional Court, 19, the 2019, lambasted the, the matter of lands. Of land? The same, yeah, land issue. Yeah, it it was lambasted from the court, but we, yes. but at the same time, the UN declared that uh, apartheid was crime against humanity. But yes. our constitutional court lambasting the same issue concerning the majority people of this country. What do you mean lambasted? Which matter are you referring to? The the, the matter of. Uh, 2019. Yeah, no, no, but the reference of the case. I mean, there are many matters that the court would be seized with. One, two, justice was not sitting in that matter in 2019. So have you got specific reference to the case at hand? No, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it from the, the from the book of Lane Matters. I see. Okay. Yes, let Judge. Yeah, I can, I can respond. I was not on the court anymore in 2019, and I don't know which case, but let me just make it very clear that that apartheid was a crime against humanity is accepted by every reasonable person in South Africa. The United Nations at the, at the time um, came to that conclusion, and in all constitutional court decisions, that is a given. One does not have to come and, and, and um, persuade the court of that, convince the court. Land, of course, is a very crucial central issue in, in South Africa. Um, the court has done what it was allowed to do in terms of Section 25 of the Constitution. By the way, Section 25 does not recognize property, the right to property. It does not recognize the right to property. It recognizes the right not to be deprived of property arbitrarily. But as we know, um, there's a lot of unhappiness about the way that the land issue has been handled. Um, the parliamentarians tried to amend the constitution. It did not succeed. Some people say that the constitution is good enough, but the government, not the court, the government must just have the political will and the resources.
to do it, to apply it, to take land, uh, etc. Others think that the um, that the requirement of compensation must be removed altogether. But um, I don't think the Constitutional Court lambasted anybody. All I'm saying is that I think it is generally recognized that land cases can indeed be very, very um, crucial and important. Um, we've had cases, for example, uh, the one of Mrs. Florence in Cape Town about compensation 40 years after their land was taken, their house was taken away in terms of the apartheid, the Group Areas Act. And it was a big debate as to how to calculate the value of the property 40 years after it was taken away and how to, um, and how to compensate them. Um, economic experts, statisticians, all gave um, uh, expert evidence before the other courts, before it came to our court. So land is very crucial, and I would not have been part of um, anything that lambasts the people of South Africa for trying what um, for trying to get what is what is their due. The the evil of the apartheid past has been recognised by the court many times. Fantastic. I hope that settles somewhat the question from Bonani, and I think he was making reference to the book written by Tembek Ngugai Tobi because he mentioned land matters, and I know Ngugai Tobi is the author of that particular book. There's a question here from one of our listeners. Hi, Songezo. If it was possible to buy judges, how was it done or how could it be done? Can a court judgment be tailor-made to only apply to certain people and not to others? That's the inquiry from one of our listeners. Second one says, and simply, why is the Constitution protecting stolen land? Two questions for you to engage, Judge. Well, the last one is um, uh, already the one that I've spoken about. Uh, there's not much the court can do about it, and that is where the Constitution itself comes in. I was part of the Constitution drafting process. Um, I was not a politician who take decisions. I was a professor then, and I was on a panel who had to advise the Constitutional Assembly and in those days, as you mentioned, Cyril Ramaphosa was actually my boss. <laughs> but we were supposed to be independent. The property clause was extremely difficult to negotiate. Uh, the feelings on all sides were very, very strong. And um, like I said, from the one side, one can say that the Constitution indeed protects um, stolen land on the other side people would say that uh, the redistribution of land is entirely possible under the constitution as it stands. Uh, I would be happy to talk about this on another occasion, but um, it is really the role of the court in that is limited because the court must do what the constitution says, section 25, and also all the other legislation that, uh, that dealt with it. But that land is indeed at the core of most of our problems together with poverty, that is a fact. Um, I'm not sure I understand exactly that the decisions apply to some and not others. Uh, first of all, it depends on the kind of decision. Uh, sometimes the court, the courts, let me say this way, in the English-speaking world, not Germany, for example, courts do the minimum that they are asked to do. Uh, judges try not to go outside the boundaries of the litigation in front of them. Now, in that sense, of course, many judgments will relate only to the parties in that particular litigation. 
but judge, uh, cases can also be brought on behalf of classes of people, whole groups of people. Then the decision would, ex would affect a much wider group of people. Um, if the question um, indicates to some extent that the decisions are, are um, some may be biased and that, they, uh, that only some people are helped, so to speak, and not others, that takes, of course, of back to the economic situation in South Africa. Um, access to court is a, a good, a serious issue. Um, millions of people, wonderful as the constitution may be, but have no access to lawyers and to legal services. Um, and therefore, they will not have the benefit of court decisions. Unfortunately, it is the case in any society, any society, Society, certainly where capitalism plays a role, that people with the means, uh, the necessary means can afford very good lawyers and they can go to court. Um, that is a problem. I am the last one to say that uh, everything is fine in South Africa. Let's engage I the question of how judges can be brought, Judge. Sorry, the, how they can be bought. Yeah, is it possible bought. to buy judges and the decisions of the court being tailor-made? Not, 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 not that I know of. It's not, I've never seen any judge that has been bought. Um, we have had problems on the level of magistrates, um, but as far as judges are concerned, I would not know. I would be open to any evidence, but um, I am not aware of... I said earlier, when I, if I were to receive a call from a bank to say after your retirement we want to make you a director and it will you will earn so much I would simply say I'm not uh, able and willing to talk about it so judges should never be able to be bought and if there is any real evidence that some of them are that evidence must be brought to light and the situation must be investigated very thoroughly Let's talk up. I think the question really, um, beyond the question itself, and I don't take away from what Mune um, was asking through that question, but could we spend a minute or two just engaging the independence of the judiciary and how the judiciary itself is structured in such a way as to insulate judges from interference with their work, the structures that exist within the judiciary setup to account for those judges, perhaps who, for what reason yeah. or the other, who might not hold yes. at all times their oath of office, particularly the work of the JCC, the Judicial Conduct Committee? Yeah, the, the judicial independence is absolutely crucial. Otherwise, one can just as well not have um, courts and judges. However, it is not such an easy thing to, to define exactly. Uh, structurally, uh, it is quite easy. Uh, judges may not be fired if they are... Uh, they can be impeached through a parliamentary process only in the case of gross misconduct and um, gross incompetence. Uh, the president or nobody can decide this judge does not uh, give the kind of decisions that I like. So firstly, they cannot get rid of you before the term is over. The second part is, as I said earlier, that I can also not stay longer. Um, than my fixed term. The idea is that while I sit there, uh, if it is a year before my term ends, I must know that the judgments I give cannot influence whether I get another job. That is not necessarily so completely um, uh, foolproof because in Germany, for example, uh, 
the former president of the Constitutional Court, in some cases, later became the president of the country, which is more a ceremonial position there, not really a political position. But firstly, structurally, you get a fairly good salary. You keep on getting, as you mentioned, your benefits. Um, you lose your car, which I lost. You, you keep your medical benefits. And all of that is supposed to that I don't have to sit and worry while I'm a judge, that I don't have to sit and worry uh, what I'm going to do afterwards, especially nowadays when many of the judges are younger and they still have children in school and university and so on. That is structurally, as far as one's own mindset is concerned, you must be tough. You must not be willing to be influenced by anything. So a phone call from the minister or from the boss of whichever commercial bank is an absolute no-no. We are all humans. We are all humans. And it's not, I'll, I'll give you other examples if you have time. Please. Sure. I have um, two and a half minutes. So I just want to squeeze in this voice note here, Judge, with the yeah. hope that you can reply to it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know what the issue is with that. I beg your pardon. Um, yeah. No, that's okay. I think this would be better if now. This Hi, hi. Good evening, Songezo. This is Patrick Mpeli. Can you please ask the judge there if this constitution that we have is the best constitution in the world? Why is it is so easy for everybody to abuse it, to do as they wish in the name of the constitution? Can you please ask that to the judge? Thanks. Yeah, that is an excellent question because a constitution that guarantees freedom, and you earlier mentioned freedom of expression, for example, is related to a democracy. And unfortunately, a democracy always opens up much space for people to do whatever they want, even if it is completely unacceptable. Um, countries like China, uh, people behave very well because they have very little freedom. Uh, they are locked up if they if they protest or they disappear sometimes when they criticize the government, etc. So it is inherent in a democracy that there is freedom. That is where the maturity of a democracy comes in, and of course the the efficiency of law enforcement. We have far too much crime in South Africa. We use freedom of expression far too, uh, too glibly. But in the United States, President Trump is the main example that makes me pessimistic about the future of, of democracy in the world. He uses the we have basic 20 seconds, right judge. To, yeah, to the basic right to freedom of expression to deny that he lost an election. And that could be death for a democracy on the long term. Well, Judge, we, we have to be responsible. Certainly, we have to be responsible. And on that note, Judge, ours is simply to express our gratitude to you for your time and for the indulgence in how you handled the listener engagements. Of course, if it were up to me, we would suspend the news and go on until the top of the next hour. But, of course, we are strict... strict we are institutions of rules and radio no less. So thank you so much, Judge, and send my personal greetings to the Fundavestes and household.
Thank you. Thank you very, very much. It was a privilege to be on your show. Thank you. Justice Johan van der Veste is in former justice of the Constitutional Court. It is indeed time for news.